0: recording yes it is and it's five four three two one
1: hey it's alex simmons legendary <laughs> writer convention producer <laughs> adventure scribe for batman scooby-doo archie and his own creation aaron blackjack day what's
0: up alex Hey Chris and folks, thank you very much for that intro Chris And here is Chris Ryan, my dear friend, co-host and fellow writer, publisher, teacher, uh, actor in that ascending order. and Chris and I are here today here we are here today.
1: We are here because together we are tell the damn story the show that talks to you about all things story and publishing so that hopefully your journey, is smoother that's right that's right and today's topic because we
0: got we gotta have a topic every time today's topic in over 280 some odd episodes chris we've discussed just about everything you can think of regarding writing and publishing the creative process and today we're going to take this one episode here and we're going to answer some of the top questions that we come across that we've encountered that people have asked us about so we're gonna answer some of those top questions today in this one episode. To so have you have a nice little album
1: of information. <laughs> All right. Nothing like so, a tall order first thing in the morning. Here we go. Well, you baby. know, the,
0: the, the funny thing about it is, folks, Chris here, Chris and I have known each other for <laughs> years, and the various progressions of our careers have been epic, epic, epic challenges. And then Chris said, you know. With all the stuff that I've done, and he has, he's written books, he's taught for years, hundreds and thousands of kids, he has traveled, he has directed, he has acted, he he says, I haven't done enough. I have not done, he's had two kids with a wonderful wife, and they have a wonderful marriage. No, I still haven't done enough. And so he has the idea to do an antholazine, which, by the way, he made up that word, because he hadn't done enough. So he has Soul Scream Anthology, a publishing entity, but it not just one book, not just one book with maybe two or three authors. No, because he hadn't done enough. Can I get an amen? So he decides, amen. To, <laughs> he decides to do six books. That's right. No, that's 10. Six books, right? With over 30, 30 writers, because he hadn't done enough. And so we figured today we're going to discuss so many aspects about the publishing experience, both from the writer's side and from the publisher's side. And I'm going to pick Chris's brain quite a bit. As you can see, we've been working on it already. So
1: oh, here we go. Chris. Yes, sir.
0: First and foremost, we both have had our share of adventures in the creative writing world, the publishing world. Mm. What, what was it like? for you when you decided that you are going to go from being freelance writer to also being a publisher? And I know there are stages, too. We're in one stage.
1: I was looking to coalesce all my different experiences and figure out what I could do with them, right? And in looking back at my past, I realized that it was a very strange trail I've on. I've been on. I was in three or four I, I I worked for three or four different newspapers, always weeklies and stuff, so don't get too impressed. But with one horrid exception, the editors always disappeared. Or they would be so laid back as or busy with other businesses that I would be on my own. I had to learn to be extra careful. I had to learn how to be writer, editor, um, layout person, uh, publisher. Now, a lot of times there was staff there. Someone had to make sure it was going the right way. And whenever it didn't need to be me, that I made sure it wasn't cause <laughs> my passion was running around town and getting stories and writing stories, and I used to write. I don't know, 12 to 15 stories a week. So I, it, I learned to write fast, but I would have to learn these other skills. And then I was always sending fiction stories out and that kind of thing, but the independent publishing craze exploded. And there I was again, writer, editor, publisher, and I would send it out to editors and that kind of stuff. All the books now have been published, professionally edited. But what I was finding in those experiences that it was that I agreed with the editor. Mm. And then I was finding as much, if not more, before I submitted to the editor. So I was like, oh, wait, I, I've stumbled onto developing these skills. Okay. So... I forgot the original question.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What was it that that put you on the trail of going from
1: freelance writer to uh, publisher? I'm going to focus on the Soul Scream Anthology. One of the other things you do when you're uh, a a writer is you got to get your own publicity going and your own events. And one of the skills I think all of the creators who are watching here should consider developing or utilizing if they have it is that subtle ability to go up to someone and hi I'm so and and I write this and I see you're putting on an event here I think I might be able to if you're interested in putting on another event I might be able to help put it together for you and I did that at a large Barnes and Noble in New Jersey
0: so you're talking about a reading or something? Yeah, the, in
1: this case, it was a reading. You have done workshops. You are the you are far more veteran person as far as... Cr- we created a couple together, and then you went off and created a world of teaching artists. Then you created conventions with workshops and classes, and it's more of what I'm talking about. But all of that, for both of us, um, in a lot of cases, was self-generated. So in this case, it was a large Barnes & Noble. And I explained that I was serving as secretary of the Horror Writers Association and that if I think it was in July or August I said if you're interested in a Halloween situation I can get you a bunch of local authors and offering people something they can use and offering to do the work to (laughs) get that going is usually a pretty good sell and I wound up having 10 authors that night and i realized so one, this
0: was a win for the store for you but also for the writers for the authors that you pulled into or who volunteered to be a part of the event yeah so there's pr all
1: around right
0: uh-huh.
1: and there's some stuff that fell between the cracks but that's probably an, an, for another question but doing that and being the point person and producing that should be, made me want to work with those creative people again and I have self-published a few novels and all that and I said what if and that's a key for all creatives ask that question what if I was to do something in publishing with them what would it be and then the other important question is what do I want to see that doesn't exist Bob Dylan famously said, I wrote these songs because I wanted to hear them and I I didn't hear them anywhere. So I figured I'd make them myself. <laughs> so it's the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. And is just a combination of stuff I love. I love reading author interviews, seeing what makes them tick. And I love reading, and it's grown over the last 10, 12 years, short stories, especially horror short stories. And I blame, I blame Cold Jack the Night Stalker for that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where Soul Scream and thalzine came from. Can I do short stories from writers that I like, I appreciate, I have worked with before, <laughs> either republishing some of the bigger names, or if they, or, or if any of them want to do new stories that haven't they haven't found a home for, yeah, I can be that person. Only one writer of. There was like 33, 35 that I handpicked and asked. One, it was above the soft R ceiling. I want to be able to get these books out and let someone read it and then pass it on to, a, say, a high school or a 13-year-old mm-hmm. your niece or nephew and know that they can read it without trauma or scandal. And this person just naturally wrote a little harsher than that. And God bless the great writer. And another person handed me real crap, and okay. So my track record of picking people was really strong,
2: let's, and let's then read. I
1: wanted, then I wanted to do the other thing I love, which was read about them. So that's where Anthology Magazine came together, and I wanted to see if that can happen, and if you, as a, a creative, ask those three questions, you too will get yourself in trouble like I did. <laughs>
0: Good. We're oh, this, suddenly we're I have a mountain down. of work. <laughs> we're going to break this down because, again, this, is, this episode is about the publishing experience and being a part of it, either as an independent or mainstream. So let's look at this. And as you stated the circumstance, one, you wind up with, a, what if I could do this? What if these people came together? What if these people said yes to my idea? First and foremost, you chose a genre, which was horror is that your favorite
1: genre i don't think so okay i'm more of i like heroic stories be that in romance comics pulp high adventure horror the reason i picked horror was one i had wandered into that neighborhood Mm -hmm. and most neighborhoods you're not familiar with, hard to wander back out. <laughs> Where am I going? Have I been on this street before? But I also found that the horror genre, the people in the horror genre were among the most welcoming. I can't be, I can't say that for every genre that I've worked in, but definitely mm-hmm. that. Not everybody, but a lot are very friendly. And then I made a discovery that the horror, and it's not a new discovery, when I stub my toe, I'm not the first person ever to stub their toe. Got you, got So I discovered how flexible and embracing horror is as a genre. Because almost every horror genre is mixed with another genre.
0: It's every horror story is mixed with another genre?
1: Yeah, there's, you wrote a story for me, a Christmas story that was horror crime. And in that same volume, Come All You Faithless. Teal James Glenn wrote like a pulp horror comedy. It's like a triple thing. Carol wrote a very moving, uh, like almost a coming of age where a young uh, young girl has suffered a loss and through Christmas learns a love still exists kind of thing. And on it goes, right? Sci-fi mixes well with horror. Pulp, gothic. Southern Gothic, Western,
0: so very inviting territory. It's a flexible territory, as you stated. So, when what you're saying then in this case is the publishing experience that you decide to take on, independent or otherwise, does not have to be your favorite genre. But there needs to be certain uh, aspects of it that you find appealing
1: or advantageous, or that you want you want represented. There are a great, Ellery Queen is a great mystery magazine. But when you go there, you're going to get a certain brand of mystery magazines, right? A uh, mystery story. If you go to uh, a pulpier kind or a more noir kind, it's a different style. It's a different feel. Mm-hmm. I was very clear with myself that I wanted to celebrate how wide and flexible horror was. That's what I was bringing to the table. There are a lot of uh, extreme horror and body horror uh, publications out there. I think that end of the horror spectrum is pretty full right now. But the other end of the spectrum, the end that I entered in, when I was a kid, when someone handed me Night Shift from Stephen King. Ah, that one. And Prime Evil, I picked up, I remember it was on uh, on a shelf in a, a tiny little uh stationery store. There's was a little section for books Prime Evil. Or it might have been uh, the candy store where I put newspapers together. Suddenly it was there. And I picked it up and it was all these legendary writers scaring the hell out of me. But each story had a really different feel. Mm-hmm. Ellen Datlow's annual best of horror isn't. That's the going to grad school. You go there and you learn. Oh, you can do that. You can do that. So I wanted to be. I wanted to be a gateway drug, for horror fans. Okay. That's what I think Soul Scream is. Good, and then you proceed once you have that concept. You proceed from there. How am I going to do that? What parts do I need? Right. What so problems do I need to solve? Let's
0: take that in steps. So you have a concept, you have a mission, mm-hmm. if you will, you have a goal, you have a theme or a tone right. that you are focusing in on, right? And I have empty pages. You, which <laughs> yeah, which allowed you to set a particular meter for how far the story could go in terms okay. of its elements, its horrific elements. Okay. okay. So Once you had all of that written down or notes or
1: however you, you put it together, what was your next step? The next step was having a hard conversation with myself because the traditional way to gather stories is to put out an open call. An open call is exactly what it sounds like. Hey, we're looking for stories and you tell what you're looking for. And you give a deadline and a place to submit them. Mm-hmm. What that creates, that's the probably the best and most fair way to do it. But what it creates is the well the world-famous slush pile, right? One open call, say on Facebook or through one of the writers' organizations, can result in thousands of submissions. Someone has to read all of those. Mm-hmm someone has to make decisions on all those and looking at the entire staff of soul scream anthalazine <laughs> you, you are if you're on looking youtube everybody the entire staff one half of the screen right here is the entire <laughs> staff of soul scream anthalazine right yeah here. it's
0: not talking about
1: me just one person and it was just the dictations or the limits of reality, I could not produce what I wanted to produce um, and get through a slush pile. So I had to go to a plan B. And for me, it was the other way that anthologies are done. And a lot of anthologies will have an open call, but it's only for two or three stories because they have done what I did to the top writers. Especially if you see a GoFundMe and it goes to App open call for this. Look how many slots they have open for that open call. There was an anthology recently, great anthology, like 20 stories. 18 of them were no name authors. There uh-huh. were two slots for the entire slush pile. So you just reality, right? So, so, instead so what did of you that, do exactly you did what? You I actually created a pitch uh, i i reversed i went in the opposite direction i created a pitch for soul scream anthology because it didn't exist so no one knew what the hell i was talking about and then i would ask hey listen i've got this project i'm doing can i pitch you that's what i would send to people so you would ask permission before you pitch, pitch them. right the authors you were interested in and one or two of them were like Nah, listen, I'm slammed. I can't even take on any extra work, which is fair. Mm-hmm. And one or two were like, um, no, because I don't have a track record in publishing. Mm-hmm. But most were like, sure, I'll take a look at it. And the pitch was something like, I want to put together a publication that celebrates how flexible horror is. And I gave the explanation that I gave to you. What I'm looking for is, and in this particular case, I asked for preferably female uh, protagonist because I like those stories. We talked about Pat Savage and there's not enough of them, right? In a quiet way, I could offer something that is not really out there that mixes horror with some other genre and that at the very most reaches a soft r level i don't want you know in
0: terms of the violence and yeah, and however, i was very
1: specific yeah. all respect to body trauma and extreme horror but that's not what this is mm-hmm. i want to be able to you as an adult to enjoy soul scream anthology and then pass it off to a niece a nephew or a son a daughter a neighbor without getting in trouble they <laughs> all got that Got you. Okay. So it was So you wrote this out. You had a pitch that you actually yeah, I, I, I limited myself to three sentences. I know you say how you never do that. But because that it think of it in terms of an elevator pitch. Mm-hmm. This wasn't instead of explaining what your project was, you were pitching to try and get someone else involved. And I would email them a couple of people I had a message cuz I didn't actually even have that relationship to have an email yet. And like I said, I pitched probably I was one person that I worked with said, Oh, he's just asking everybody he sees. And that wasn't the case at all. Oh, you had a curated list. I did. And once in a while I would take a risk. We were down in PhilCon, not this year, but the year before. And I was manning the manning the horror writers association table. Actually with a guy, a guy who turned me down. When I pitched him, he's nah, nah, not interested. And he's very busy, so that's okay. But a complete stranger came up and started talking, introduced herself, wanted to be involved with HWA, and I'm listening. And I'm, what I, the other guy was handling the, here, sign up here, and all that. So I was able to observe. So I listened to her diction. Mm-hmm. I listened to the references she made and whether she sounded truly hungry to do this and then I had a business card I don't know if I have any around here and I said I'm going to take a chance I don't really know you but I'm working on a new project here it is I gave her a quick explanation if you're interested send me your email and I will pitch you what I'm looking for and the email was there before I got back up to the hotel room Yeah. uh, She wound up uh, sending me something she could never find a home for. And it was. It was a very faithful homage to. Not Oedipus Antigone, but set in a post-Civil War. Western-type feel or Southern Carolina-type feel, South, and it dealt with racism, and it dealt with female rights and standing up for themselves. And I think it went... It, I think I would have liked it to go a step further. I wanted the, the two women to write off together. But it was It was interesting in a, a number of different ways, so I said yes to that. And she was a complete stranger and there was an older woman who was the table cross who was just, just uh, intriguing enough in a very offbeat way. Cause she actually had published a story of mine. She was doing a horror anthology about trees and I pitched her something and she says, we have enough stories about trees. Do you have anything with like moss or something? Yeah, of course I do. And then I wrote a <laughs> moss story, right? That was the angle I was coming from. That was the, what I knew about her. I said, what might she bring to the table? So it was like that. So again, um,
0: curated list. Yeah. You have an elevator pitch. You want uh, you have an elevator pitch to get them intrigued. And once they say, yeah, I'm in, I'm interested, then you pitch them the project in general. You've already set the tone and the, the meter, the violence meter for the right. piece. You have your theme. You have all that worked out. What on an administrative level did you have to do to
1: lock in these writers? First, you had to read the stories. And some were slam dunks. I remember being so thrilled. that We know James Chambers. He sent me some. It was going to be a reprint, but it was so much fun. Not a word needed to be edited and all that stuff. Reprints, a lot of the time, they had already been edited. Um, But I did have to send a couple of requests. And it was always embarrassing because there were two stories from two different authors that were, one was sexually graphic. Mm. And I said, "I, I can use this, but can we fade out? at this sentence and not take the three graphic sentences afterwards and that kind of stuff. And the other person, there were two lines, no, two words, two, just two words that I wanted to change because they were very graphic. And it was overly conservative and overly careful on my part, but I had to hold true to that soft R. Then I had to Well, we've talked in previous episodes about my love of using index cards to create stories. Use used the printed stories. I printed them all up and edited them by hand, old-fashioned way. But then I used the actual stapled stories or paperclip stories like I would the index cards when I'm organizing. So I would lay them out. They were way too big for the table I usually use. So I had to get up and the cats were not helpful. They kept walking all over everything. But the biggest room that I had in the house, I would just put in and then reorder them and reorder them. Lay them on the floor. And the other thing administratively that you have to do is face facts and be flexible. So here were some of the facts. I had a really good collection. And if I kept with my original concept, which was one volume of this, the volume would have been somewhere near a thousand pages. Oh, geez. It would have been book slash doorstop. Uh, and it would have been the price tag would have been ridiculous. Just, just the shipping costs would have stopped people from buying it. As you're going through a project like this you hit walls you hit problems and as an administrator you have to solve it all right how do we work the problem what if it was multi-volume and that's how we got five coming on six we'll talk about the sixth one later but how we became five volumes and then the organization changes because instead of just almost all female pro- protagonists now it's like all right. Which, which of these stories lean into horror hybrid genres that I can put together? Right. So the first one, the blue one, was just, these are the, they don't fit anywhere else and they are female protagonists. That's the the leading aspect of these stories. So then that's the organizing topic for that one. But there mm-hmm. were a few that definitely hit Dark Justice. And then the Christmas one was a pre-project to see if I could do it. Teaser,
0: in a way, yeah.
1: Yeah, I meant it as a teaser and I had wanted to give it away for free. And Amazon said, no. So (laughs) it became 99 cents. But that was, I specifically asked for Holiday and that was always going to be separate. But we got all female protagonists, Dark Justice. Then we got, there was just an element of cruelty of the human heart. So that's where Monstrous Heart became its own volume Mm -hmm. and there were definitely sci-fi clearly sci-fi hybrids so science runs amok and okay now that's what i'm working with it became the form of the project took a different form but you could justify it as a better business decision it costs less for me to produce and sell and for shipping of separate volumes than one big volume Okay.
0: Now, one more administrative question that you might have eventually got to, but I want to just lock it in now. Are you shaking hands with
1: these people and they're saying, no, then then I had to, I I went through my filing cabinet and got all my previous contracts and my, again, you make decisions uh, as the administrator, whatever, publisher what kind of business are you going to do? And I was determined to be the most clear and fair and protective contract I could put together. Um. And that's what I did. So I offered what I could afford as far as monetary. Hmm? You set a budget. I set a budget. I wanted to reach, there are different levels payment and I wanted to reach officially um professional level payment but I couldn't afford it for these many authors mm-hmm. so I guess you would call it token payment and it's a an honorarium up. maybe yeah it, it the industry uses both those terms okay there are, below that is now you don't get paid you get paid a copy or uh, you get paid a byline and I know that wasn't good enough a um,
0: byline copy of the issue that you're published in
1: token bel- payment That's the next level. Right. And then then there's uh, uh, escalating professional rates. So basically
0: what you're saying, and I I know you were going to talk contracts, but basically what you're saying is in fixing your budget, understanding what you can or cannot afford, there are these particular
1: levels that you can use as offerings to get people involved. Okay. And you have to find them. So you can just Google what are professional rates, how to, what are the different ways that Authors get paid, artists get paid, or whatever. Horror Writers Association has a section in their member section that explain those things. So like that. So I did the very best I could. And when I could afford to do a little more, I think I raised them all by $5. Then how long am I going to hold the story? I looked at what was the least amount of time that I could claim rights to it, without screwing myself up legally. It was a one-time publishing right. Rights to the story, all rights to the story, revert back to the author as soon as the volume is published. Some people... I saw an offer on a contract one time that the publisher wanted seven-year rights, and then you would have three weeks to reclaim the rights. And if you miss that window, they had it for seven or 10 more years. What is that nonsense? So I wanted to go the other direction. I I hope they were paying you a crate load of money. (laughs) I withdrew from the project. Yeah, okay. So For that and many other reasons. So I wanted a contract that writers would appreciate and would see, wow, is this really a writer's contract? Yeah. And I sent each of them. Now, what I wanted to do, and again, it's a win for writers, I added a rider, which is an extra clause in a contract that part of fulfilling their end of the contract is that they would answer a five-question interview that I would use to create a profile that would follow their story a profile about the author that would follow the author's story so one they get more coverage two they get to people get to see another side of them and again it's part of the anthology it's the magazine part of the anthology right so, so the so,
0: contract mentioned this
1: yeah very clearly yeah. and then the questions it was clear that the questions will follow right below the signatures so there were signatures and then there was the five questions a matter of fact i eventually um edited the contract to have must answer in the, all caps because and directly below the signature in all caps because people were missing it and then i would have to send the contract back and say you haven't i can't pay you yet because you haven't done this and once you got once i got the story and any edits that I needed done. And and I tried to do most of them so it didn't get lost in the shuffle. And then the interview answers. Then most publishers publish, will pay on publication. I paid these people immediately. Gotcha. One, so they know, oh, this is legit. And then, for example, one guy, I don't know where the hell the story went. He was in the initial bunch but he wound up through organization that he was going to be in the fifth volume Mm -hmm. so it was the last to be produced and I was very pleasant with him I said this is what's happening and that's going to be it's in pre-production and it will be published around this date and you have you you have received and it turns out that he had sent the wrong email so I had to withdraw that payment and pay him Like it was a typo in the email address. So I paid him immediately and then happy fella. (laughs) There you go. But you have to deal and and you have to not not take those kind of questions personally. And you have to not get agitated.
0: You have to be professional. Yeah. Speaking of which, because I'm clock watching too. I think we're going to have to do a few rapid fire questions. All right. Much quicker. Yeah, yeah. Wait, because you, you've you been filling in some really nice information, but I do have a few more to go. So we have the contract that you researched first to put together a contract that you felt would be
1: fair to the writers. Yeah, you and felt- then I actually sent it out to PETA. Be P-E-T-A? B-E-T-A. Bit. Okay,
0: you said data yeah.
1: reader. Yeah, okay. people who have had a lot of contracts and said, "Does this sound fair to you?" Get feedback <laughs> on that. Okay,
0: okay. So again, you wanted to make sure that you were upfront, you were fair, that you knew your budget, so you could tell them, "This is what I can afford to pay. This is what you're going to get for it." You get your rights back the moment this thing is published. Boom. So you, they sign the contracts. So the works that they submitted are yours to publish in this particular experience. Now you have the stories. What was the next step? As briefly well,
1: um, stories organized by now five different titles, then organized in what's going to be the first story, what's going to end the stories, what's going to what's going to be the last story. Then I had to
2: Per volume. Per volume. Then
1: Mm -hmm. I had to write the features and I came up against another problem. It was going to wind up being by Chris Ryan a thousand times. And how boring is that, bro? I created a staff. (laughs) (laughs) You fictionalized your staff. Yeah, I did. And again... Working problems sometimes create, sorry about this lighting if you're in YouTube, but oh, I see what's happening. It sometimes creates another, I'm just going to leave it like that. I'm going to be noir for the rest of the episode. (laughs) It creates more of an opportunity. Very quickly, I created four personalities besides my own. Yeah. And one became the assistant editor. She was already in, she's already the protagonist of my contribution to the Soul Scream and Thalzine. So now we're breaking a fourth wall. Where so
0: the character becomes a member the, of
1: yeah. uh, Becomes a member of the staff, right? And she has, I guess you would call it some kind of supernatural powers. So now that starts thinking, well, how would that affect in an everyday office how would that affect things so there started to become uh little talk conversations or messages back and forth between the different people that happened in soul screen so now you have this kind of meta almost like a sitcom or television like the office like a behind the scenes type Mm -hmm. so that's happening and you have a very learned nerd and a very uh people magazine type style and a very earnest so you have those different voices doing the profiles so that it's not always Chris Ryan but it's Finnbar McGuinness when Connie Marcello Connie Marie Marcello and what was the other guy's name oh he had a very interesting name that's um, okay so you yeah you, yeah so what,
0: what I'm getting here is that your your publication is developing a life of its own
1: see maruda uh, yes started. and you don't need to create a fictitious staff for it to do our friend jim bird jim beard and his friend john they put out a series of books that have a very distinct feel to them so being true to the product will help you create that but in um, your
0: case you are you're the artist in you the writer in you is actually affecting or influencing the publisher because yeah. you are beginning to develop this world around the very project that you are producing, which is yes. again setting up tone and yeah. style and flavor. Like you mentioned, Ellery Queen, that right. has a particular feel to it. Right. So, so you have publisher- to figure
1: out what feel you want. Right. Okay. And you have to argue with yourself. But the publisher's side of it, I kept saying to the, the my creative side, is that bullshit. is that going to fly? Are people going to be, what the hell is this? And then I spoke with you about it. I spoke with Teal about it. I definitely spoke with glorious often about it. And Mm -hmm. it's all of that is creativity. All of that is writing. All of that is business. And then you had to get artists.
0: Right. Okay. So that's our next question. So you have the contracts, you have the, the staff fictionalized or otherwise, you have the content of the magazine worked out or, and Thalazine worked out per issue. You have the order of all the stories that are going to appear in each issue worked out. You said artists. So we know that cover art is necessary. Was there any other art involved? And how did
1: you... Three three distinct elements. I needed a logo that was going to work. Artist for that. Mm -hmm. I needed cover art. And then I wanted some spot illustrations for the interior. I'm not completely satisfied with my decision-making here, but I had a really limited budget. If I was going to spend money on interior spot art, it was going to be on my characters. Mm -hmm. I I just didn't have enough money to do an illustration for every, I would love to get there someday. There's a reality. Mm -hmm. Then you have to go shopping for the art again limited budget so you have to look and i looked everywhere long story short the first author first artist that i thought i could afford uh was i found him on fiverr Mm -hmm. and great artist did these logo for me did the first two covers for me did um a series of spot illustrations that i rotated as the interior art. So a lot. And each of those things cost me money. Mm-hmm. It went through my art budget for the whole project. Ah. Um, and I still had three more covers. And then it turns out a fourth cover because the Come All you Faithless I had mixed that in some new app way before people started screaming about AI. And when I went back and researched that app, it was AI-based. And I'm not going to rip off some other artist, Mm. So I had to do a new cover for that. So again, as you're doing your best intentions, you still might hit calamity. Mm -hmm. And you have to address it. So there was two issues in. Of what was going to be a five-issue um, project, yeah. I had to redo the first one because of that, and then I had uh, two more covers to deal with, and I, I was stuck. And so I was is- on, and I was on Twitter. And I'm a Brian Keene fan. I'm a fan of Brian Keene and San Giovanni, and neither of them do covers. (laughs) But at the time, they were doing various podcasts slash YouTube shows, and the tech guy was interesting as well. So I followed everybody who was on those staffs. The tech guy wound up being also a voice and one of the speaking people on the shows, Mm -hmm. and his name was Matt Wilderson. I was following him on Twitter. And he's independently publishing some stuff with his own covers. And then he threw out a pre-made cover for an offer. Anybody want to buy this? And I said, wow, this guy does good work. And he writes stories. So originally I pitched him, do you want to, no, I, I asked him if he would do a cover for me, and I pitched him what Soul Scream and the series was. was, yeah. And his initial response to me was, how can I get in there? I write stories. So I said, send me a story, and I'll give it a look, as long as it hits the parameters. And it was a great story that wound up in Monstrous Hearts, but I still didn't have covers. I said, are you interested in doing the covers at all? And I grit my teeth and I said, how much would it cost me? And he was really cool about the price. And I actually dipped into my pocket and added to my budget so that I could cover those. And when the Come All Ye Faithless private calamity happened, I asked him what I could do. And, And hilariously, I put makeup on my own face to mimic the
0: character on the original cover that, yeah. that
1: we had to get rid of because it yeah. turns out to have AI elements. And I said, maybe you can digitally alter this or whatever. And he, it's really, you can really recognizable, But he put it like reflected on a a Christmas bulb on a tree. Yeah. Like, yeah, And it's just a fun cover. He wound up doing that one and the other two and... I've since bought another one for Hellhounds and told them that there's more coming. And okay, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna, there keep you coming. go. So you have to, have to shop and you have to be real. If it gets too expensive, you got to find something. You have to solve the problems. Right. Or Absolutely. the problems. Okay. So cover art, interior art,
0: what's the last three? Production,
1: Produ- proofreading. There and you go. Okay. if you can afford other people, and a staff do that. If not, read it out loud, read everything out loud, like you're getting paid a lot of money to read it out loud and catch everything and adhere to your, what you want to be in there what don't and speak nicely to people. And then I had to solve the probably the biggest problem, which was layout. And I went to a um, printer they couldn't get to the they, they couldn't get to it easily. It was it eight five months three or three to five months up and no result, and I was trying to solve that problem and I came across, again it was uh, some kind of Facebook writers group, self publishers writers group, and a lot of them kept mentioning a program that hey software program. I, yeah that I will admit to my own ignorance there's a lot of stuff I'm still learning, and it was a program called Atticus and Atticus uh, mockers itself as a writer slash layout program. The writing program is glitchy, but the layout pro- program is heaven.
2: <laughs>
1: it works really well. it gives simple I don't think you have a choice about. It. Six to nine different styles, but it winds up being, once you choose a style, it's drag and drop. So it takes, it's a, a small learning curve, but it'll create and it'll give you templates for the front page, the indicia page with all, where all the credits and copyrights go. Mm-hmm. Introduction, forward introduction. It'll create table of contents for you. It'll do chapters, or you can adjust it, and a couple clicks of the button, it creates a PDF for print and an EPUB for eBooks.
0: So you can literally lay out your the entire format of your book within this particular program, right? From cover to back cover and everything in between.
1: Not, not the covers. Oh, okay, not the covers. That was the artists. that okay. I had okay. to pay them to rap covers. And then they will produce the files that you drop in, so far Amazon, but also okay. Barnes oh, & okay. Noble, et cetera. So, yeah, they'll create everything else. So, proofing,
0: production, layout. what's mm-hmm. the, the last step
1: then? Post-production, check, everything. Right. And it's the least little thing. When I was first learning Atticus, I thought I had it down. But for Dark Justice, which was technically the third soul screen, um, I hadn't checked one button. So when the printed books came back to me, every story began on page one. Oh, geez. The of contents was hilarious. It oh. was all part one. Yeah. And multi-dimension because, there. <laughs> yeah. And you're so busy doing things. I send out author copies and artist copies. I sent them all out without noticing that. And one of the writers was like, oh gosh. So I adjusted, went back, found it was an Atticus, hmm. clicked one button, all the problem was solved. Just resubmitted it through Amazon, had to wait for the approval time. And then I then the, that problem was solved. But a lot of being a publisher is problem solving. And you you think you've gotten everything down. I have one writer who, Just guaranteed that no matter how many times I go over stuff, when it hits publication, she will send in, uh, you missed this edit, you missed that edit. So now she becomes part of the machine for me. When she says that stuff, then I just suck it up, put your ego to the side. I have a little jar I put in it. And uh, go and correct those and... Luckily with self-publishing with Amazon, all the others, you can re resubmit it and c- create that better copy. Yeah. But
0: at, but, at some point we're gonna have to come back to all this to talk about some of the, the behind the scenes mechanics of actually putting together um the books like this. But uh, we we're running out of time. So yeah, what I a lot I, more. Yeah, yes, <laughs> there's it a lot more. But what this basically says to me, and again. I have my adventures in this experience, but I, I wanted to focus today on Chris's because it's happening now. This is happening now. You've got all of this time and effort that he's put in. What? How long have you been working on this project?
1: I guess the entire thing is about, at this point, about 15 months.
0: Okay, so over a year... Uh,
1: uh... But 15 months of several days a week, 10-hour days.
0: So over a year, however many hours per day, all of that. And how many of the books are out at this point?
1: Five.
0: Five are out. There'll be a
1: sixth one that'll bring that meta storyline that's in there to a close. And then we'll have a rebirth starter.
0: And there's still two categories that come behind all this one is <laughs> distribution and the other is promotion and these are factors that also publishers independent or otherwise have to take into consideration so again at another time we'll talk about that because that is a key point of it but what i'm going to say now is a
1: lot of writers and as challenging
0: right a lot of emerging writers and established writers at some point come to the desired realization or the enforced conclusion imposed conclusion that they want to independently publish x whatever it's going to be just understand at least from my experiences and now you're hearing chris's it is not the easier trail no a trail and it comes with its own set of problems and challenges and there's a lot of moving parts And most assuredly, a lot more opportunities to make mistakes. So you got to put on your professional hat, even tighter, taller, however you want to look at
1: that. Let's be honest. I I self-published Genius High, A Simple Rebellion, and the Mallory and Gunner books. And when I started all that 10 years ago, I had a full head of hair. And everyone says independent publishing is so easy. You just do it yourself rather than waiting for the gates to open and waiting for... Yeah, I literally... (laughs) <laughs> and that's where that hair went so no it's not easier <laughs> it's not easier and
0: there are pros and cons to it again which we will discuss at another time chris thank you so much thank you for me. really being Goodness. so uh, authentic and transparent and taking us behind the scenes and folks i hope that you found this useful and if you didn't what's wrong with you no <laughs> <laughs> but what we would like you to do now is i asked a number of questions that we have come across over the years Here's your opportunity to get equally involved. Leave us in the comment section, or you can email us. All that information is going to be in the comment section uh, of either the YouTube or the Spotify or however you're listening or taking this in.
2: Right.
0: Leave us your questions. What questions do you have about independent freelance writing or in independent publishing? What do you want to know? What challenges have you had? What kind of questions have just Plagued you forever that maybe Chris and I can uh, give
1: you some insight on. Alex, I'm going to take a risk here. You may say no, okay? Okay. But can we also allow them or encourage them? Excuse me, to ask either you or me anything they'd like to ask us. <laughs> hey, I've been living dangerously for years. <laughs> you know. Let's so just put not? let's why just not? put the cannon to our head. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> anything like the fuse right okay there are a couple of wise guys who are jumping to the keyboard right now <laughs> yeah hey you know go bring it bring it, bring it up. Sure, what the heck? Why not? Okay. We'll just put a hopefully a couple of those in there with some serious writing publishing questions. And, and again, do and we'll it answer for...
0: in another episode. We will take okay. all your questions and answer them in another episode.
1: Yeah, and ask ask for a friend. Something that's gonna help you in your career. Are they Tell asking your us us for a friend or are they asking damn a friend? Story. Ask that's always the wink, yeah. I'm question. asking for a friend. But yeah. ask a question that will help you tell your no. story. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely.
0: <laughs> Chris, take care, everybody. Peace. Thank Keep you very sure. much. And we'll see you next time.